This is the SETN Podcast with Chris Goforth and Chandler Morrison, covering high school football in Chattanooga and the Southeast Tennessee area. The SETN Podcast. Welcome in. It's SETN Preps. Chris Goforth, Chandler Morrison. Glad to be hanging out with you this week. It's time to take a look back at Friday night's uh, prep football action across the Chattanooga area. And boy, Chandler, what a Friday night of football did we have last week. We had some great games. We also had a couple of dogs, too. We had a couple of games that were flat blowouts. But I think most yeah. of the games that we're going to talk about were uh, were pretty good games from, from Friday night. Before we get to that, let me uh, remind folks, you can find us on Twitter at SETN Preps. Uh, you can find uh, Chandler at Sports Chandler. You can find me at Chris Goforth One. Also, make sure you head over to our Facebook page. Like our Facebook page. We'll keep you updated on a lot of stuff that's happening there. You can also, if you don't already, I mean, you found the podcast, right? But you can, uh, uh, you can always subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcast, Spotify, and also podcast.com. We would very much appreciate that. And uh, and glad to have you along with us. So here we go, Chandler. Let's uh, let's hop into it, man. I want to start with a game that I was at Friday night: Macaulay and Baylor at Baylor. Chandler, I've done this a long time, man, like twenty five years now. Over three hundred games of high school football that I have broadcast. I don't know that I have done one that has been more fun than this Baylor-Macaulay game was Friday night. That was as good of a game. It was very intensive. Uh, Both crowds, the place was packed. It was standing room only. There had to be, that stadium holds 6,500. There had to be 8,000 plus there. It It was great. It was a great atmosphere. It was fun. And it was a fantastic game between two really good football teams. Can't say that I can remember where I had a game where two teams just went back and forth at each other with big plays, but that's what that was. I mean, and it was, it's one of those things where, like, you know, sometimes you go to a game and and it ends up being like there's like this unsung hero that comes through. That wasn't the case with Macaulay and Baylor. The stars, came to play, man. It was D'Angelo Hardy, B.J. Harris on one side. It was Neyland Jean and Elijah Howard on the other side, and they just sat there and traded punches with each other all night. And frankly, that game was still in doubt. McCauley had the lead. They got a punt from Baylor, and they drove down. McCauley was faced with a fourth down with... I don't know, like a minute or so left to go in the game. It was fourth down. They were in Baylor territory, and they decided to go for it. And um, and and Hardy completed a pass that sealed it with 38 seconds left. Uh, they were able to take a knee and run out the clock because I fully think McCauley did that because if they would have kicked a field goal and missed it or if they would have – you know, given if Baylor would have got the ball back with 38 seconds left or 40 seconds left, whatever it was, 45 seconds, whatever it was going to be, if Baylor would have got that ball back, there is no doubt in my mind that Baylor would have found the way to go down the field. I mean, it was just that kind of game, one of the best games I've ever seen. 
Yeah, and, and Chris, when you look down the, the stat sheet, this, you're just looking at this on paper. It just looks like a phenomenal game. Anytime you've got a touchdown game and both teams score four touchdowns at least, that's a good game. Uh, I, I think this one, Chris, I, I don't know. On paper, it looks like it came down to quarterback play. When you look at D'Angelo Hardy, 13 of 8 for 275 yards. Dylan Jean, 8 for 13, 163 yards. To me, that looked on paper like it was the difference that um, Hardy was able to, to make the plays more often. And you just said at the end of the game, they were able to complete a pass to kind of get that first down and then be able to run out the clock. Yeah, the, um, the guy for paper. The guy from Macaulay that really jumped out, though, that I, I will say is Eric Rivers, the wide receiver, who I know him better as the, the point guard on the Macaulay basketball team. He's a heck of a basketball player. Um, he's, he's a baller. But, man, he came through and made so many clutch receptions for Macaulay on, uh, on Friday night. I mean, that, that kid came to play, too. But that was a great game. It's a great game. Yeah, I, I just – I was watching it online, Chris. I uh, had some fantastic commentators on there. Uh, I won't say who. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> play by play by play guys really good. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. But, that's, that's what I hear. Yeah. That's what I hear. Uh, but uh, it, it just looked like a good game. And then when you look at the stats, it becomes even better of a game, Chris. You have uh, 700, almost just over 800 yards of offense in this game, and in a high school football game. You know, that's that's pretty rare and, and few and far between for both the teams to kind of be able to do that and get those combined kind of yards, Chris. Chandler, let's move on. Let's talk about another heck of a game from uh, Friday night, mm-hmm. another game that we previewed a lot last week. Bradley Central mm-hmm. beats Cleveland 37-35, a lot closer game, Chandler, than what I thought it was going to be. Isaac Vaughn is the most popular kid at Bradley Central this week. He kicked the game-winning field goal for the Bears that gave them the win in this thing, 37-35. They trailed um, 35-34 until uh, Isaac Vaughn hit the the game-winning field goal to to give them the lead. Cleveland led 21-0 at one point in this game. Cleveland led it 28-7. And then in the second half, man, Bradley went on a tear – they scored on five straight drives in the second half. Javen Burke, we've talked about him a lot this year. Bradley's quarterback, 212 yards passing, 125 yards rushing. He is really, really good. We talked last week, Chandler, about Cleveland, and we said then, who are these guys? Because we hadn't really talked a whole lot about Cleveland this year. Well, what they are is Robert Flowers, their wide receiver, He's no slouch. He's probably the one guy at Cleveland that I think a lot of people know. The guy that seemed to stand out, and again, I didn't see this game, but the guy that really seemed to stand out for them um, in, against Bradley, and I hope I say it right, Tito or Tato Boyd, he rushed for 165 yards. So, uh, again, I think that's starting to see and, and learn a little bit more about Cleveland as we as we go through this week, but Man, I am all about Bradley Central. I can tell you this, Chandler. I talked with a member of the media up in Knoxville late last week, Thursday, as a matter of fact. And uh, he asked me about Bradley. And we were talking a little bit about Bradley. And uh, I asked him about Maryville. And he said, he said, look, they're still pretty good. Don't get me wrong. 
but he said this is probably the worst Maryville team, the most beatable Maryville team in the last 10 years, 15 years. He said, I, I think these guys, this is a team that, you know, they could be primed for the picking, he felt like. So we'll see. This is put up, shut up time for Bradley because this is Maryville week. Yeah, and what an effort for Bradley Central, Chris. I mean, they don't take the lead in this game until six seconds left in the game, Chris. Like, I, like that's, that's something that's like, if, if this were a college game, someone would be having a Heisman moment in this game because, I mean, that's the kind of fight that a coach wants and he dreams of for his team to be down 28-7 at half and come back and win and not ever have the lead but then get the lead six seconds left in the game. Um, Chris, that's just, a, that's just you know, uh, an amazing stat right there. And uh, and our boy Trey Curry, he got a touchdown in that one too. So uh, he – a receiving touchdown, so he's getting back out there wide out. Of course, they've been using him a lot in the running game, Chris, but um, yeah, I was just watching this game just kind of unfold, just see it, just kind of score watching Friday night, Chris, and it was 28-7. I thought, my my word, Cleveland's going to take this thing and, and throw it out, and then I just see this comeback, and I see the final score, and I was like, whoa. Yep. That, that must have been a heck of a game to watch, so uh, that was kind of how I experienced that game Friday night was Cleveland's dominating. Oh, by the way, Brad Central came back and won in the last six seconds. Yeah, it, it's funny because I was doing the same thing at Baylor kind of during the commercial breaks and during timeouts when I had a chance to kind of check some of the other scores. And, you know, I pick up the phone. The first time I checked it, it was 28 – or I'm sorry, 21 nothing, uh Cleveland. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know. And then I checked it again. Yeah, I checked it again, and it was 28-7 at the half. And I really thought, well, man, we we were wrong about this one. Um, And then only to find out later on, close to midnight Friday night, before I finally found out the the final score and saw where, you know, kind of what all had unfolded, the way Bradley was able to come back and win it. Heck of an effort. Heck of an effort. And, again, look, if you, you know, this game – this week, or last week rather, this win over Cleveland, man, it would mean so much more for Bradley if you can turn around and knock off Maryville now uh, on Friday night. But it's also one of those things, Chandler, where I kind of go, okay, how much how much gas you got left in the tank? Yeah, that was, that was exactly where I was about to go. Because <laughs> you expounded a whole lot. I mean, you put a whole lot into one game, and it's a game that means so much to so many of those people over there. What's left? That's the big question. All right, let's move on to our next one. We've got Boyd Buchanan knocking off Silverdale. Uh, I thought it funny last week on Twitter that Boyd Buchanan was hashtagging Beat Bonnie Oaks. Beat Bonnie Oaks. Rather than referring to him as Silverdale, they kept referring to him as Bonnie Oaks on uh, on Twitter last week. I thought that was kind of funny. I like the game. The rivalry gets heated, Chris. Now, I'm telling you, it's the Holy War, man. Uh, Silverdale. Five turnovers in this game. They had four fumbles in the second half. All those came in Boyd Buchanan territory. That kind of sealed it. I mean, if they're able to plug in one of those touchdowns or finish one of those drives with a touchdown, one of the four, um, you know, the the outcome of this game may, you know, it may have changed the complexion of this game completely, but they couldn't do it. 
Boyd Buchanan's now five and one. I still want to see where they end up, but I will tell you this, Chandler, I don't have a vote. Nobody lets me, lets me vote on anything, but Jeremy Boskin is the coach of the year, period. It ain't even, yeah. you don't, don't even come at me with anybody else. It's Boskin, period, for what he's done at Boyd Buchanan. That's the best story. Absolutely. Look, there's some other nice stories, and we're going to talk about another one here in a minute in Bledsoe County, but, but what's going on at Boyd Buchanan? That's the best story in high school football. Absolutely. 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 You know, and Chris, you talked about that, that field at those, those, um, those turnovers. I think what really kind of started this is this was a close game and Silverdope was leading at the half. And when you look down the barrel at this, Chris, right at the start of the third quarter, right after halftime, a 90 yard kickoff return by Boyd Buchanan. Okay. That's got a jolt in and that kind of put this rivalry on like, Hey, we're back in this game. And then those, those turnovers sealed the deal. But I think what really started that comeback in, in this, this, uh, the surge from Boy Buchanan was that 90-yard kickoff return. And you're right. Jerry Boston has done a phenomenal job. Anytime you take a program that goes 0-10 and you're looking to be one of the favorites in that region, you know, at the end of the season, that's a very good job by a coach. And I don't think there is another coach that has turned a program. Now, there have been coaches that have turned programs around this year and put them in the right direction. I don't think anybody's taken a program from where they were with pretty much the same kids. So, I mean, there's there's some different kids, pretty much the same kids, and taking that program and putting it on a different level, like two or three yep. levels up, Chris. No, I agree I with mean, you that, 100%, yeah. man, and, and you're right. I mean, and we've said it here countless times. He's doing this with uh, largely the same roster they had last year. It's not like he got a bunch of transfers that come in and are suddenly lighting this thing up. He's doing this with a lot of the same kids, for the most part, that was on this team last year. And it's just, again, it's just amazing. I think it's the best story in high school football. And, and kudos to, to Coach Boskins and those kids because, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll let me vote on Coach of the Year. And uh, and I can vote for him because right now that's that's what I think. And and as you said, we've seen other coaches in their first year that have been able to make an impact this year. We'll talk about Dwayne Tabor. Uh, we've mentioned Grant Reynolds over at East Hamilton, uh, and we've given credit to those guys. But what he has done at Boyd, it's unbelievable, absolutely yep. unbelievable. It's a great story. Yep. It's a great story. All right, let's go to um, let's move over to the Valley now, Bledsoe County. Knocks off Marion County, thirty-four to twelve was the final score. Found it interesting, uh, Chandler. For all of my bragging and talking about Harmon Keith and and how good of a quarterback that that I think he is and will be by the time he's done, he didn't complete a pass uh, in this game. Bledsoe County, they forty-six rushing attempts, four pass attempts. They were zero for four. They ran fifty plays. Went 0 for 4 passing, but ran it 46 times. They didn't have to. Um, you know, Marion County didn't have an answer for them. And here's the other thing about what's going on at Marion County. They only had one turnover in this game. It's not like, you know, that Marion County is just, you know, they can't get out of their own way right now. They've just got to figure out how to extend drives and keep things going. They ran 54 offensive plays 
had one turnover and two touchdowns. There's 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 something missing with them, and I don't know what it is. I think the Hutchins kid uh, that's playing quarterback. I've said before, I think he's talented. You got to find a way to get him more involved. Get the ball and look. He's the quarterback. He gets the ball every play. You got to find different ways to use him um, and and get him the football. I am a firm believer in that that kid's good enough to be able to win you some games, but it's, I I don't know. I mean, there's something missing where this Marion County team is concerned because I don't think they're that far away from being, you know, pretty good. But right now, as it stands, they're not a good football team at this point, but I, but it's frustrating because you kind of don't feel like they're that far away from, from being decent. Yeah, and, and Chris, I just want to say this. For Bledsoe County, when you are one-dimensional, like complete – I mean, this is not like, oh, they threw a few passes, but they just couldn't get – no, they didn't throw a pass. And you can score 35, 34 on a team, excuse me. That tells me that you've got a program that, that can win at any cost, and that's what a coach wants. Um to me, I mean, and, and by the way, this is not the first time this has happened on that field. You know, a couple of years back, Sequestia County won a game at Bledsoe County without completing a pass in a rivalry game. Um, but, you know, this is this is something that Bledsoe County is going to give them a lot more confidence. Because even when you're forced to kind of be one-dimensional, I don't know if that was by design. Like, they decided they were just going to run against Marion County because they saw something on film. Or if Marion County was kind of – you know, had a good secondary and was keeping them from throwing the ball downfield. But either way, Chris, anytime you can be that one-dimensional, completely one-dimensional, and win a ball game and score 34 points, I think that that is a good sign uh, for this program, a good sign for this team this year, and, and it really shows you that they're on the right track. And it gives them a lot of confidence going forward, Chris. We've said it before. They're the second-best team in that uh, in that region. And taking care of business as well. I mean, Bledsoe County, you know, anytime you go in and take care of business in the region, that's also going to give you a lot of confidence going forward, Chris. Yeah, no, I agree. They're a confident team. Uh, You know, I want to see how much better. I'd love to try to get an idea of how much better they are now than they were when the season started. Um, And, you know, if they can get a rematch with Tyner, what would that rematch look like? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think they those may get are the, that. They may get that rematch. They may you get know, that the playoffs. Or, yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I think I think Baylor and McCauley will see each other again. I really do. I think that game Friday night was just round one. I think there's more to come um, with those hope two we teams. Do get another game with that one. Yeah, that was a fun game to watch and a fun game to to hear about. Yeah. So I, I think there's uh, I think there's a good chance that that one happens and. Maybe Bledsoe County can get that rematch with Tyner and, and see. I still think you probably got to lean towards the Ram train in that one. But, uh, you know, again, I I think it would be great for Bledsoe County just to be able to get back to that. Chandler, let's. Uh, you got anything else? Anything else you want to touch on today before we uh, move on to our uh, classification rankings? Yeah, I've got a couple of things, Chris. I'm sure you've got one or two, too. Fire it at um, me. All right, so first thing is, and I know we keep talking about this, Whitwell goes 0-6 uh, after that loss to Steph Creek, and I think that was a very 
I don't think a lot of us were surprised with that Copper Basin game because we knew Copper Basin was going to be good. We thought they could get the win, Chris, right? It coming into that game, it kind of felt like that. Well, uh, Grabowski, by the way, I don't know if you saw the, the Times Free Press on Friday. Grabowski, Copper Basin's quarterback, he's the number one rated quarterback in the area. I mean, that kid's yeah. having a fantastic year. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but I, I'll be honest now, Chandler, I, I was shocked that Sail Creek was able to beat Whitwell. Yeah, and, and it's not a it's not a heart on Sail Creek. It's just that you know what we've seen from Sail Creek so far and in the past few years, they've not been very successful even against Whitwell. And I think this is kind of to to put it in perspective, Chris. This is kind of a new low. I mean, the last time a team went zero and six after winning a state championship was uh, two thousand three, and that was a Division two team, and Chris, if this goes on another week, we're we're going back beyond this century for the last time that happened. I still haven't got. I've been going pretty far back in the archives, Chris, and I still, still have not found it. And I think I'm back in the early nineties. Well, South Pittsburgh won a state championship in '99. In 2000, on the field, they went two and seven. But it went yep. in the record books as 0-9 because they played an ineligible player in those two wins. So they yep. technically went 0-9 in, um, in 2000. But, yeah, and, and Chris, that was an 0-5 start, though, to, to be fair. Um, and so I was looking at more at success on the field rather than what the record books are telling us now because of the ineligible player and all that. So, right. Um, because to me, I don't consider that. And, and I've talked to some other people with stats around the state, and our good friend Steve Baffrin, um, over at Whitwell Tiger Football History, and he said that that would probably, that wouldn't qualify because they were taken away after. So we'll start to go back farther to find uh, that. And I'm sure by wow. next week I'll have time to look for it, and I will tell you if it's ever happened in the playoff era, if Whitwell uh, does happen to go 0-7. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another note, Chris, McMinn County, they're 6-0. And, Chris, we talked about this with Bradley Central. McMinn County is on a collision course for Bradley Central and Maryville. And I'm not so sure that McMinn County won't be in that conversation for a home playoff spot. It's not the first home playoff spot, Chris. I, I'm they with you. They are so impressive. Yes, they are. We talk about them enough. No, we have not. And you are 100% correct. They are, uh, I think it's really easy to fall in love with Bradley because they got all these great skill guys. But let me tell you, McMinn is, uh, they are going to be a handful. There's no doubt they are going to be a handful. And we do need to, uh, we do need to talk a little more about the, uh, McMinn County Cherokees for sure. Yeah. And, and Chris, if this game against Bradley Central and Maryville is close, even close, Chris, Bradley Central and McMinn County could be two of the better teams in the state if this is as close as we think it is. And, you know, uh, along with Maribel, but, you know, we you, you, you said it yourself. You talk to people and you think this is not a, a Maribel team that's been up to par with a lot of other Maribel teams. So we'll see next week. Um, this week, Chris, though, blowouts or close games, there was nothing in between. Um, it was either a really, really good game within a touchdown within eight points, or it was a blowout by 30 or more points. Yeah. And I don't think we've seen that in a while. 
you know, usually you have one or two touchdowns, kind of gets out of hand, blah, blah, blah. But now, Chris, they're, they're all blowouts um, or they're close games. And just to give you a stat on this, nine games this week featured a team scoring 49 or more points. Okay? Three included teams scoring 60 or more points. And the most, give it a guess, Chris, who scored the most points this week and how much was it? I will say it was East Hamilton, and they scored 72. You you are correct on the dot. We talked about 60, what was it, 69 last week? Well, uh, <laughs> East Hamilton saw that and walked her down and said, all right, we'll do you, uh, what is that, three better now, Chris? 72 points on, on a team in your region. That is something, Chris. Yeah, they scored five touchdowns and kicked a field goal in the first quarter. They returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown, got the ball back, scored a touchdown, uh, got the ball back again, scored another touchdown. I mean, you're halfway through the first quarter. East Hamilton led 20, um, I guess it was, tw- yeah, 21 nothing at that point. Then they kicked a field goal. And then uh, in a matter of seven seconds, they scored two touchdowns. They had a 17-yard touchdown pass with 15 seconds left, and then the ensuing possession for Sequoia, very next play, quarterback drops back, he throws the ball, it's intercepted by East Hamilton, and they return it for a touchdown with eight seconds left. That was just in the first quarter, and they led 37 nothing. So that's how bad of a beatdown they put on uh, Sequoia last week. Only thing in doubt there, Chris, was when do we put in the beating? Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> by the look of it, at the start of the second quarter. But, <laughs> but oh, and one other quick thing I want to note, too. We, we told you about this a couple of uh, shows ago, a couple of episodes ago. Uh, we wondered what was going on at Notre Dame. Why were the Irish now suddenly struggling? Told you a while back, something was up with Dallas Brown. He wasn't playing much. That was confirmed this week in a story uh, in the uh, in the Chattanooga Times Free Press about uh, the uh, the loss that they suffered to CAK this week and all the injuries that um, that Notre Dame had in that game, including um, Dallas Brown being out with an injury. So uh, that has taken its toll on um, on Notre Dame because you, you lose your um, – they've lost four starting defensive backs. It's starting le- – their starting left guard, their middle linebacker, and their number one tailback in Jeffrey Watkins. So think about that. Your whole secondary has gone. Your middle linebacker has gone. And your tailback is gone. And one of your offensive line. I mean, what do you do? If I feel sorry for Charles Fant, but that's exactly what, uh, you know, our sources told us that there was some injuries and some stuff going around with the, the Notre Dame program, and that's kind of the reason why they were struggling. And, well, come to find out, we were right. That is what's going on over at, uh, over at Notre Dame. They have had uh, some, some injury mm-hmm. issues and uh, that's the reason why we have seen them slide. It's the reason why they fell out of the uh, 
our, our classification rankings that you and I do here on SETN mm-hmm. Preps. Yeah, and you hate to see that happen, Chris. Um, right now at Notre Dame, they don't have an injured list. They have a not-injured list. So it's easier to keep track of that. Uh, I, I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that we're looking at. Um, but, I mean, when you're at the Division two level like that, Chris, even in the, that division, that double-A division, missing one or two guys in your starting in your starting lineup anywhere on the field is going to give you trouble because everybody's loaded. Yeah. And just to see that they're missing that many guys, it explains so much and, and really explains the mystery for us because we saw what this Notre Dame team was. We saw what they were able to do, and we thought this was going to be a good comeback year for them. And we thought maybe it was the inconsistency. We thought it was maybe the Russian attack being, you know, the, being one-dimensional. No, it, it's the injuries, Chris. And when you have that many injuries, it's not a shock to me now why they're doing what they're doing and, and why their record looks like it looks. Yep, there you go. You got anything else? Uh, I, I do not. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's get to our um, let's move on and get to our our rankings here. Let's go with the small schools first. So we'll start with our small school rankings. This is one A, two A, and three A. Chandler, I want you to go first this week. All right. I'll start with number five. And Copper Basin is at number five. They are legitimate, Chris. Uh, I don't know that they will be. I don't think they'll be South Pittsburgh. In fact, I, I don't count on that. But they are legitimate, and they have some really good prospects out there, and they have a really good team out there, Chris. And they are starting to look like Whitwell had in the years before they won that state championship, where they were not able to beat South Pittsburgh, but they were looking pretty good everywhere else on their schedule and everywhere else on the board. Um, at number four, I've got Tyner. Um, I, you know, they've got a matchup with Baylor coming up. We'll talk about that later this week. Uh, but I think Connor still looks good. I don't think that they quite match up with the next three right now, and we'll maybe see that later on this season. But I've got Connor at number four uh, with their two losses. I've got South Pittsburgh at number three right now. Uh, I think South Pittsburgh is a really good team, and really the one, two, three for me are one A, two A, and three. You know, are one, one A, one B, one C, Chris. Um, so is South Pittsburgh at number three just because one A classification you. We know how tough Pittsburgh is, but ahead of them, I've got Mex County at number two. I think Mex County is still be is still impressive. They've got a lot of athletes on that on that team that we have yet to talk about, Chris. I think as this season goes on, there will be more and more athletes from Mex County that we'll be talking about because they've got a lot out there that should be getting some looks, Chris. And of course, at number one, I have Red Bank, uh, and Red Bank's got a good matchup coming up this next week too with Ray County, and that will be a foe. We'll talk about that later this week. Uh, but that's my top five, Copper Basin, Tyner, uh, South Pittsburgh, Mexico County, and Red Bank at number one there in mind. Well, we're close. We're close again, Chandler. I And I've shuffled mine around this week on both sides, kind of. Uh, I put Bledsoe County back in in my small school. I got Bledsoe back in. They're number five. Uh, Tyner is number four for me. Megs is three. <laughs> South Pittsburgh is two. I've still got Red Bank holding on to that number one spot in the small school classifications. Now, what about your large school classification, Chandler? And for those, if you're not with us every week, large schools is 4A, 5A, and 6A, and then it's all of Division Two. So, Chandler, what do you have? Well, starting at number five, I've got Big Mean County. I just think they're really impressive, and I think really they're on par with Bradley Central and maybe even Maryville. When you look at the 
at the stats, they're really on par with Maribel, but uh, we'll see how, how that how that turns out later in the season. I've got Ray County at number four. Uh, I just think they've been really impressive. They got that matchup with Red Bank this week, so I think that will be one to watch. Um, number three, I've got Bradley Central. Um, I think that Bradley Central is a really good team. I just don't think they're better than number two, Baylor, even after the loss. All that Friday night showed me is that McCauley is seven points better than Baylor. That's it. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think Baylor should move anywhere in any rankings, in any poll, anywhere, because basically all that showed me was these two teams, McCauley was better that time around because I'm sure we'll get these two teams again. And, of course, at number one, I've got I've got McCauley. Uh, that's kind of just – I mean, I think we've had McCauley at number one for, like, what? How many, how many weeks have they been at number one? Oh, they're, they're like Alabama, aren't they? I mean, they've been there yeah. since 2008, I think. Um but no, it, look, I think we had them at number one most of the year, if not all of last year. And at least, yeah. uh, I think we've both had them at number one for certain all of this year. I've got Ray yeah. County clocking in at, at number five. Um, and I want to rank Ray County higher. I think they're better than that. Um, but I've got them at number five. I got McMinn County number four. I want to put the mm-hmm. Cherokees higher. Um, I've got Baylor at number three. I did bump them from two to three after the loss. I moved Bradley Central up this week. That may change depending on what the outcome is against Maryville. And I, too, Chandler, still have McCauley number one. So i got McCauley, Bradley, Baylor, McMinn, Ray. That's my top five of the large schools. Hey, one other thing, and I meant to mention this earlier, and I didn't get to it, um, and I just now yep. saw my looked down and saw my note that I had made on this. Sweetwater and Red Bank. Red Bank won that game yep. pretty impressively. We spent a lot of time, a lot longer than what we normally do last week, talking about the injury to Jay Hardy, where the kid mm-hmm. from West Forsyth dove at his legs last week, and, and uh, he ended up with a grade 2 MCL strain, four-star defensive end at McCauley, done for the regular season because of this. I don't know if this was a copycat move. Um, was mind-blowing. Uh, a kid from Sweetwater dives at a kid from Red Bank's knees, and I, I was flabbergasted at what I saw. And it's one of those things. It goes back to something that Coach Potter said last week when we heard from him here on SETN Preps. He said, I hope coaches everywhere will use what happened in that game as a teaching example. Man, I, I hope. Every coach is preaching that this week, that this is not how you play the game. Um, And I hope every coach comes out and shows these videos. What happened to Jay Hardy and and what happened uh, against Red Bank? And, Chris, I had this this statement I saw on Twitter from Chris Brown talking about this. Uh, This was at the end, and you can go see this on his Twitter. This is at the end of a a letter he kind of wrote in his notes on his iPhone and then put out on Twitter. Uh, he said, most importantly, the Sweetwater player has already reached out to me and taken responsibility for his actions. He, like all of us in our youth, made a mistake in the heat of frustration. He deserves the opportunity to be corrected and then atoned. We play sports to learn how to be the best versions of ourselves, and mistakes are a necessary part of it. Our purpose is to guide our youth, not lambast and abandon them. Uh, but he also said around the letter that his administration – um, we'll officially file a suspension appeal Monday morning with the CWSAA 
Um, and so there, and, and he had just good things to say about, uh, Coach Martin at Sweetwater. Um, but he, he did say that the Sweetwater player did reach out to him and took responsibility for his actions, which, by the way, um, I think that is a, a, a class move right there. Even though it wasn't a class, um, play and, cl- and class behavior, that was a class move to reach out and say, listen, I'm taking responsibility for this. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, good for him. Good for that young man at Sweetwater for doing that, and uh, good for Red Bank for taking the actions that they're taking. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think there is any doubt that Chris Brown, the head coach at Red Bank, he's a guy that's going to stand up for his players, um, and he's a guy that's going to fight for his players. And so good for him, um, and hopefully this thing gets resolved. And I hope we don't have to talk about this anymore this year. I hope this is. I it. hope we don't either. Yeah, I hope this but, is done. Yeah, this this is the first time. Well, last time it happened in Georgia, the 2010 and Georgia team. And there's not a whole lot that can be done because there's two different leagues there. This time it happened within the TWSAA, so it can be completely looked at by the TWSAA, and uh, it happened in the state, so it can be looked completely by them, and they can file um, for suspension of that player and all those kind of things. So that that's that's at least the good part of this. Well, Chandler, that is going to wrap it up for us this week here on SETN Preps. Again, want to encourage you, go find us on Facebook. Just do the search, SETN Preps. We'll pull right up. You can like our Facebook page. We'll keep you updated on what's happening uh, in and around prep football. You can find us on Twitter, at SETN Preps. And you can also uh, enjoy this podcast on any number of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and podcast.com. Chandler, it was great. We've got more games to talk about. We'll be back later in the week to preview Friday night's prep football action.